0: Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash The Economist to get started. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Hello and welcome to The Intelligence on Economist Radio. I'm your host, Jason Palmer. Every weekday, we provide a fresh perspective on the events shaping your world. The Erecha festival in Ethiopia should have been a day of thanksgiving among the Oromo ethnic group. Instead, there were arrests. This quiet is growing in the country as the prime minister, who campaigned on promises to the Oromo, continues to fall short. And the betel nut is the stimulant of choice in many parts of Asia. Our correspondent heads to China's Hunan province, where it's revered, exchanged in greeting, even given to kids, The thing is, it's a known carcinogen. First up, though. Today, Britain's Prime Minister Boris Johnson will deliver his speech to the annual gathering of his Conservative Party. The delegates will, of course, be attending virtually.
1: Now, this might not be the
2: party conference as we know it, but it's still your conference. There are still the big speeches
1: from the foreign secretary... And those
0: delegates will be looking for reassurance at a time that's worrying on a number of counts. Mr Johnson's government has come under repeated criticism for its handling of the pandemic. This week, the country's test and trace system came under fire after nearly 16,000 COVID cases weren't followed up, reportedly because of an error with an Excel spreadsheet. Mr. Johnson is hoping that new measures he's introduced will slow the uptick in cases.
3: The, the crucial thing is that in the next few days, week, we'll, we'll see more clearly whether some of the restrictions that we've put in, uh, we'll see whether that starts to work in, in driving down the, the virus.
0: Alongside the pandemic, Mr. Johnson is having to deal with another crisis of historic scope, Brexit. Britain and the European Union are still at loggerheads on a post-Brexit trade deal. There are just weeks to overcome that impasse if Britain is to avoid the no-deal scenario that has been forecast or feared for years now. I think it's there to be done.
3: I think, alas, there are some difficult issues that need to be fixed.
0: For Mr. Johnson, it's a lot of ground to cover, a lot of nerves to calm, and he can no longer rely on the goodwill he once enjoyed.
1: Boris Johnson has always been the star attraction at the Conservative Party's annual conference, but this year it's going to be very different.
0: Matthew Holhouse is our British political correspondent.
1: What this event is about every year is about the opportunity for the Conservative Party when it's in government or when, it, you know, equally when it's in opposition to restate its agenda for the coming 12 months to reset its mission and sort of lay out the the path ahead and particularly for when you've got a leader who's uh, under fire like Johnson is and like his predecessor Theresa May was to really try and reassure members about the direction of the party and remind them about why it is that they're in that job and what they're hoping to achieve.
0: And when Mr. Johnson gives his speech, what are we expecting?
1: So the element that was briefed out overnight was that there'll be a big focus on renewable energy. There will be a so-called green industrial revolution. This is about both a method to stimulate the economy uh, as it goes through the coronavirus shock, but also it's about injecting a purpose into Mr. Johnson's administration and trying to flesh out the vision of what he is for over the next four years. He's also going to need to talk about Brexit because the Brexit deadline is coming up on the 31st of December. And there are big questions about whether the UK and the EU can strike a deal or not. And he's also inevitably going to have to talk about coronavirus, which has consumed so much of this year, which has turned his, his premiership upside down and has injected some real doubts in the minds of MPs, but also in the wider public about the competence and the grip of his operation.
0: And in terms of the pandemic, how has Mr. Johnson managed that, to your mind?
1: So, on multiple measures, the UK has had a poor pandemic. The the death toll in the UK stands at uh, forty two thousand, by head of population, that's that's one of the highest in Europe. What's been particularly striking in the UK, however, is, is not just sort of on on the sort of the medical metrics, but how much political chaos, a political buffering that has been with this, it has seemed like the government has sort of lurched from small crisis to small crisis on this. One has flared up this week after the test and trace system that's run by the government managed to lose uh, 16,000 Test entries after a database error, which seems to be sort of symbolic of a broader series of small daily crises that have uh, surrounded this pandemic. Now, Mr. Johnson's supporters would counter, well, you know, this, this is an emergency without precedent in, in recent history. And clearly, there's going to be some, some ups and downs. But it is clear, looking at the polling, that this has all fed into the idea that actually this government in particular lacks grip and that it's starting to feed into questions around Mr. Johnson's personal competence.
0: And this, of course, is not the, the only challenge that, that Mr. Johnson and the, and the party face at the moment. We've got a post-Brexit trade deal still to work out. How's that going? Are there signs that, that an agreement might at last be struck?
1: Yeah, it's clear that both parties are moving closer towards one another, but there are still huge outstanding issues, which is giving doubts to whether a trade agreement is possible. And the two big sticking points are over subsidies. What control should the UK have on the subsidies that it provides to the private sector? which is a huge issue for the, the European Union in terms of ensuring the competition between the two parties is fair. And the other is over what access European fishing boats should have to uh, British waters, which has always been uh, sort of the, one of the most politically contested areas of the Brexit negotiations. The challenge for the government is that even if a trade deal is agreed, there will be a huge adjustment for, for business and for all the customs and infrastructure operations at the border, uh, because operating under a conventional trade deal with the European Union is very, very different in terms of the access available compared to being a member of the single market and customs union. So there'll be lots of new bureaucratic requirements on companies, which means that there is a very, very high chance, even under a trade deal, that there will be disruption at the border on on January 1st and in in the weeks following that which again is a risk for the government if, if it is developing a comp, uh, a reputation for a, a lack of grip, a lack of, of competence, that the prospect of queues of lorries will, will again feed into this impression that, that the government isn't on top of things.
0: Taken in some then, do you, do you think that Mr. Johnson's leadership is under threat?
1: I think it, it's way premature to be talking about leadership threats. There's no sign of, of anybody sort of moving to take him out. However, what is clear is that Things have gone sour pretty quickly. We have to remember that this is the guy who in December won a stonking uh, electoral victory, he got a majority of 80, the biggest since 1987. And really it was an opportunity for many in the party to, to do all the things that had been hankering to do for, for a very long time and have been able to do for reasons of leadership or of uh, parliamentary arithmetic. Less than a year into that, uh, the government has has developed a, a sort of a nagging reputation for lack of competence. There are already mutterings about who's going to succeed him, about whether he can last the five years, about whether he'll you know he'll be able to do another five years after that. Lots of people saying you know that they hope that he could develop from this jocular newspaper columnist into this credible statesman and and that he's been a great disappointment in that regard. So it's too early to talk about leadership contests. However, it's not too early to say that for many in the party, his premiership has been a, a disappointment and that there are doubts in the party about his, his competence and his grip on government.
0: Matthew, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Jason. For more insights like this from our international network of correspondents, subscribe to The Economist. To find the best introductory offer wherever you are, just go to economist.com slash intelligence offer. As our world becomes increasingly interconnected, so do the risks we face. But with the right context, we can uncover deeper meaning. Moody's decodes risk so that you can act with confidence. Visit Moody's.com to see how your organization can decode risk and unlock opportunity. In Ethiopia, much of the opposition stopped recognizing the government as legitimate yesterday. This week should have been the end of the government's term had coronavirus not delayed an election. Tensions have been high in the country for months, as members of the Oromo ethnic group protested against Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed. The deadliest unrest came in June, following the killing of Hachalu Mundesa, a popular Oromo singer. The Oromo are the country's largest ethnic group, They've complained for decades of marginalization and exclusion from political power. Protests between 2014 and 2018 led Mr. Ahmed, himself a Romo, to power. Once in office, he promised change. But there's growing disenchantment, leading authorities to impose strict restrictions on the Eurecha Harvest Festival this weekend, normally one of the year's most important cultural events for millions of aromos.
3: The festival was a rather subdued affair this year. There was a very heavy security presence on the streets of the city. Tom Gardner is The Economist's Addis Ababa correspondent. There had been an enormous military parade a few days before, which was seen by many people here as a sort of show of strength against those who were threatening unrest during the festival. There were hundreds of arrests in the days before as well. And the number of participants allowed to attend was strictly limited. It was a pretty calm and orderly affair, which was certainly a relief for most people, but there was also clearly a lot of tension underlying it.
0: And why has this festival in particular become a focus for for those kinds of concerns?
3: Well, a reach has always been a very political event, especially in recent years. In 2016, a stampede triggered by heavy-handed policing of demonstrations left possibly hundreds dead. And that tragedy was a turning point in the broader Oromo protest movement, which in 2018, brought to power Abiy Ahmed, the current prime minister, who was then a young reformer from Oromia. And he promised redress for what Oromo's claim is centuries of political and economic marginalization. Then last year, his government allowed the festival to be held in the capital of Addis Ababa for the first time in supposedly many decades, which is one of the demands of the Oromo protesters. So the event last year was a hugely spirited occasion, massive turnout. However, it's really a measure of how far Abbey has fallen out of favor with many aromas. This year, the event was so subdued and quiet and tense. His ethnic constituency, his base, if you want, they claim he's turned his back on their cause and reverted to the authoritarianism of his predecessors.
0: And what do you make of that suggestion, the the, the degree to which he's fallen out of favor because he has, has failed to deliver on his promises?
3: Um, He came to power on the back of protests in Oromia, which were very much driven by ethnic Oromo nationalism. And since he's come to power, he's been accused by many Oromo leaders of of not doing enough to further their cause. There may be some truth to that. Secondly, he's definitely not lived up to the promises he made in in 2018 with regards to full multi-party democracy for all Ethiopians. At the moment, we have key opposition leaders behind bars, some of them... Eromia opposition leaders, some of them from other ethnic groups. They're accused of inciting violence during these protests in, in June and July this year. But many of the opposition say this is simply a ruse to eliminate his rivals. There have been many arrests in recent weeks and the recent months. It's been basically a pretty broad-based crackdown on dissent, especially in Eromia, his home region.
0: And, and you mentioned there were already big protests over the summer. I mean, is this the way this is headed to, to, to a continuing season of demonstrations?
3: Yes, yeah, so on, on June the 30th, a hugely popular Oromo musician and activist Hachalu Hundessa, was murdered. We don't know who by, but the Oromo base saw this as an attack on all Oromos. His music, especially his song Jira, was a soundtrack for the Oromo protest. Jira,
0: jira, jira.
3: His killing was described on the night by one key opposition leader as a shot in the heart of the Oromo nation. This was a really big moment in terms of Abbey's relationship with the Oromo movement, which brought him to power and his Oromo constituency. So I'd say it's very hard to see how he can regain that favor he lost with that constituency, particularly because the protests which followed this, the murder were accompanied by a huge number of arrests and, and quite a heavy-handed response by the authorities.
0: And so how does this, this continuing tension then between Mr. Abe and, and his, his Oromo constituents uh, play into Ethiopia's politics more broadly?
3: Well, broadly, the country feels socially and politically extremely fragile at the moment. It feels like any spark could trigger further violence, further bloodshed. People are extremely worried. There's even talk of things like disintegration, the federation unravelling. That's something people are really worried about now. And then you have, hovering above all of this, the fact that the election Abbey promised for 2020 was delayed earlier this year. And that was ostensibly because of COVID-19, that's a, a reasonable excuse to delay an election. But the way the government went about doing it, refusing to engage properly with the opposition, to agree to the terms of any postponement, to get their consent for what, to be honest, is quite a controversial constitutional manoeuvre. Elections are supposed to be held every four years. So that all feeds the opposition's claim that the government is no longer legitimate, as of yesterday, from you know October the 5th because the four-year term limit should have expired.
0: And so what effect will that have then if the opposition essentially doesn't engage with the government anymore?
3: Well, the government wants to hold elections next year, probably in May or June. But we do have a really big problem if much of the opposition says that the government is now illegitimate, that the whole process is rigged and counts for nothing. Then the legitimacy, which Abbey's government really craves and needs, is going to be harder to come by when it comes to these elections next year. And I think these will take place with several opposition leaders most likely behind bars. Now, the government and the prime minister say that's necessary to prevent further bloodshed. The trials are ongoing. Maybe there is merit to that. But it's going to have a really big impact in the way these elections, when they come around, are perceived locally and to an extent abroad uh, in terms of the legitimacy question, which fundamentally is what underlies the unrest at the moment. That's what underlies the tensions.
0: Tom, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Jason. Since August, a new comedy show in China, Du Yun Laugh Club, has been watched hundreds of millions of times, and along with it, an advertisement for beetle nuts. The nuts are a buzz-inducing stimulant, and the ads promise that chewing them will make watching the show even more fun. But despite the bubbly advertising, the nuts are known to have dangerous health effects.
2: Betel nuts are the nuts found in the fruit of the areca palm tree. And it's in fact a green berry. It ripens to a yellow color and it would fit in the palm of your hand.
0: Stephanie Studer writes about China for The Economist.
2: In China, they're mostly consumed dried and it's just the husk of the nut inside the fruit that is chewed. These are mostly grown on Hainan Island, which is a tropical southern island, and mostly eaten about a 1,000 kilometers inland in the province of Hunan.
0: And why is it that they're so popular there?
2: Well, firstly, the beetle nut is a stimulant, so it gives you a rather nice, mild buzz, similar to what you would have from drinking a lot of coffee. On top of that, they come in all sorts of flavors. You get them in mint and cinnamon and orange so they're very nicely fragranced and in fact the scent really hits you when you walk into a shop in Xiangtan which is a city in Hunan which has the highest number of betel nut chewers in all of China and we went into one in Xiangtan and there all the different betel nut varieties are arrayed in large blue and white porcelain bowls. And the store owner was explaining to us milder and the stronger varieties, the sorts of buzzes that you would get out of them.
0: So wait, these things offer a variety of buzzes. I mean, what, what, what are we talking about here? Did you, did you try any?
2: Yes, we did. The sensation I had was one of uh, lightheadedness, but it will affect people in different ways. The big downside to this rather nice buzz is that what causes it, a substance called arecoline, is also a carcinogen and was recognized as such in the early 2000s by the World Health Organization and more recently in 2017 by China's own food and health regulators.
0: And, And surely that has public health effects in a place where it's consumed so much.
2: Yes, in fact, also in 2017, a group of doctors from Hunan published findings that showed that a particular disease caused by chewing betel nut called oral submucous fibrosis, which often leads to oral cancer, was widespread in Hunan. And they found that rates there were much higher than anywhere else in China. They were really trying to raise the alarm here. They said that within the next decade or two, this would become a humanitarian catastrophe in the province.
0: So, I mean, given that the Chinese government itself has recognised it as a health risk, are there any limitations on them? or Are they looking to ban them?
2: You would think there might be, but not at all. No, in fact, it is widely advertised on giant billboards across most of Hunan province, but elsewhere in China too, You will find on some packages a little warning that says that if you chew betel nuts in excessive amounts over a long period of time, you may have health problems. But there's certainly no mention of cancer. And the knowledge locally that this might cause cancer is also still very limited from speaking to even young people there with access to this sort of information. Although they are noticing that more and more relatives are having diseases of the mouth.
0: So so where do you think it's headed then? Will will the the, the harmful effects become more widely apparent or will the the enjoyment always overshadow that?
2: Well, for now, this is a huge industry in China. The biggest companies are growing at an average rate of about 10% a year in terms of sales. And it's obviously one that the local government of Hunan wants to protect. In February, at the height of COVID 19 in China, even China's National Health Commission came out and included betel nut in a prescription that draws on traditional Chinese medicine that it said would help to alleviate symptoms of the disease. And meanwhile, I spoke to young local mothers who did tell me that, yes, they were concerned about the health risks and that they were trying not to start their children as young as they were when they began. But they said, you know, if later in life, their children want to try them, they can't stop them. So this isn't going to go away anytime soon.
0: Stephanie, thanks very much for your time. And if it needs saying, please, please do limit your consumption.
2: Thank you, Jason. (laughs)